0: Hi, my name is Paul Crandall and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey. And we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc@isunrise.com. at That's my personal account. And I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're gonna find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Little late there. It's a Raiders fan fault, you know. I was praying for this dear brother just <laughs> suffering, you know. It's some seasons are Raider seasons, you know. It's like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you're a Raiders fan, I just want you to know, there's a church uh, down the road if you turn. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Totally welcome here. We love you. I just love to. I, I'm a big talker. You may not notice this, but I don't have a very competitive advantage in any game based on my physique. Besides maybe tiddlywinks. I'm really good at tiddlywinks. My fine motor skills are just incredible. Anything else, but I'm a talker. You could play me in any game and I'll just trash talk. I know, you're like, that sounds like a good pastor. Trust me, cornhole, it could be anything. Like, I have anything, I'm always going to talk. Probably going to lose, but if I'm going to lose, I might as well talk and enjoy myself while I do it. So if you're a Raider fan, hey, just know, Paul's a talker, that's what he does. It's not spiritual, it's a sin in my life. We all are imperfect, right? Amen. Amen, even your pastor is. But speaking of being imperfect, as we walk through prayer in the writings of Luke, so the gospel and the book of Acts, this actually lines up and segues really perfect because I think when we, we think about prayer and we think about how we should pray, the contents of our prayer and the posture of our prayer, what we often do is we just look for like the instructions, the commands, the guidelines to prayer. Like pray like this and then we try to do that. And I think that's good. We should do that. That's how we should uh, um, inform our practice of prayer. But I think there's a an even better way to inform our practice of prayer or another way that we need to include in how we view how we should pray and that's modeled prayer. We should look to people who pray really well and say, I want to pray like that. And who better to look at than Jesus? Jesus models prayer for us and Jesus prays for us. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus prays for you. Jesus prayed for his first century followers. And if we can learn from how Jesus prays, how he models prayer, it could shape and transform how we pray. So let's ask ourselves the question, how does Jesus pray for you? How does Jesus pray for you? How did Jesus pray for his first century followers? Did he pray? I pray they never experience pain. I pray they'll never experience discomfort. I pray that their lives will be easy. I pray that their life will be happy. I pray that their life will be filled with great health. Those are all things we pray for, right? And it's good to pray for those things. But when Jesus is praying for us, what does he prioritize? What is on the forefront of his mind? Is it I want them to experience less pain. I want them to have a pain-free life. Is that how Jesus prayed for his first century followers? Is that how he prays for you? Maybe on the other end, does Jesus pray for perfection? Right? Does he pray for that you'll never make a moral mistake in your life? That you'll always know the right thing you do. You'll always have great wisdom. And not only will you have wisdom, but you'll have virtue. You'll know what to do. You'll be able to diagnose and discern what the right path is. And then you'll have the energy and the hunger to do it. And you'll execute it. Does he pray that you'll be morally perfect? Does he pray that you'll be pain-free and morally perfect? He actually doesn't pray for those things. Those aren't the priority for him. Now, does he want you to make right choices? Sure. Does he want his people to experience this just exaggerated form of pain? No, he intercedes, he intervenes. But there's something of higher priority to Jesus. And I think if we see that, it'll change how we pray for ourselves and how we pray for others. So we're going to study a very small prayer, really only one sentence of a prayer of Jesus that he made for one of his closest followers, a man by the name of Simon Peter. And Simon Peter is going to find himself in a really stressed situation, in a very dire situation. And it's in those moments that we really see, and in that moment we really see, what does Jesus prioritize? Because Peter is in a situation, a pretty serious situation. And we're going to see, what's Jesus going to pray for? Is he going to pray, I hope this bad thing doesn't happen to you, or I hope you're perfect and you don't fail? What is he going to pray for? Here's what I think we're going to see that Jesus prays for, which leads me to the big idea for this morning. So if you only write down one thing, I want you to write this down. Repentance is of utmost importance. That's the big idea. Repentance is of utmost importance. Now that word may seem, wow, what does that mean? Repentance. That's a big word. It's actually a simple concept. It basically means to turn from. Repentance in the Christian sense, to repent, is to confess our sin and turn from it. And how God responds to our repentant heart is he forgives us. He honors that humility of our confession. He forgives us and he begins to restore us and change us. And this is what Jesus ...has in mind as the most important thing for him to pray for Simon Peter. And I think the most important thing we could pray for, for our friends and for ourselves That the expectation is not that Jesus wants us to be morally perfect, never making a mistake. The expectation is that he doesn't want us to experience a pain-free life. Now, I would love, I mean, who wouldn't love if that was Jesus' priorities, Right? If Jesus' priorities were like, you're never gonna hurt, oh, I-, I could sign up for that. I'm gonna give you the hope that you're never gonna make a mistake in your life. Yes, please, like a uh, supersize me, add fries to that. Like, I would love that. But Jesus' prayer for us is much more realistic and much more relieving. Jesus is realistic, he knows we're gonna fail. But what he prioritizes for us is repentance that will turn from that failure, that will confess it, will be forgiven, will be cleansed, will be restored. And then he can use us to affect so many people. Let me show you this. Luke chapter 22. Let's examine this prayer of Jesus. Now what disrupts this repentance is pride. Pride. What gets in the way of our repentance is pride. What gets in the way of humbly confessing our sin to the Lord, acknowledging what it is and turning from it, what gets in the way is pride. And that truly is the greatest danger in our life. Whether it be self-righteous pride or rebellious pride. We often think that pain is the worst thing in our life. But it's not. Pain can destroy your body. But pride can destroy your soul. Pride can keep you from the redeeming work of God. And so what Jesus is going to show us is repentance is his priority, which means pride is the greatest enemy. Not Satan, but our pride. Not some outside enemy, but our pride. Our self-righteous posture or our rebellious posture. That's what keeps us from the redeeming work of God. All right, let me show you this. Luke chapter 22, verse 33. This is the context of this prayer that Jesus gives. He says this in verse, sorry, 31 of Luke chapter 22. It says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. So this is the context that Jesus is going to reveal his prayer. Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, so he's addressing Simon Peter. But he's also, what he's speaking about is all the disciples. Now, this is one of the things that, like, is a moment where the English language just fails us, okay? And if, you, if you've learned English as, like, your second language, or you're like me, it's your first language, but you're dyslexic and have learning disabilities, so it feels like you're learning a second language when you walk through the English learning and grammar and stuff. English language has some deficiencies to it. Can I get an Amen. 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 Why do we pronounce words the way we pronounce them? Literally, yes, thank you. Right, so much. And there's one thing that isn't helpful in English, and that is that noun right there, demanded to have you. See, in Greek, if you're a Greek reader, you can tell that you is plural. But you can't tell that by just reading it. Now, if you're in the South, you'd just be like, y'all. Right? Satan demanded to have y'all. You all. All of you. That's what's being stated here. So, Somebody's laughing about that in the back. I love that. So, what Satan, what Jesus is doing is he's looking at Simon Peter, singular, right? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have y'all. So, think of it like this Simon's right here, Jesus' right here, and all the disciples are kind of behind him. So, it's like Jesus is speaking to all the disciples, but he's directly speaking to Peter. And Jesus is saying, guys, Satan wants y'all, all of you. He's hungry. He desires you. Now that we're demanded there, we got to understand what that means too. Satan cannot make demands on God as if he has authority over him. Don't read it like that. You want to read it like he's demanding me. This is like an aggressive energy that he's having. Right? Like I have, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old boy. And I've got an 11-year-old and 13-year-old. But they're perfect, so don't worry about them. The story is only about the three and five. Maddox and Dexter. Now, they're little. They're toddlers. Now, they make demands all the time. But do they have authority over me? No. no absolutely not. I have not met a toddler who could beat me up. Not, see, I darn it. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Somebody's like, I'm going to call your bluff. This will be the next fight. Not Jake Paul and that other guy. It will be Paul, Pastor Paul versus a toddler. That's going to be bad. There's no way nobody wins in that round. Okay, But think of it like that. That's what Satan's doing. He's like throwing this fit. Like, I want this. Right? He's at the snack cabinet right now. Daddy, I want a fruit snack. No, you can't have a fruit snack. It's dinner time. But I want it. He's demanding it. But there's no authority he has over me. Satan is demanding. He's hungry. He's like chomping at the bit. That's what he wants. But God has to permit that. Nothing can happen unless God permits it, gives him permission for it, because he has all the authority. It's very similar, if you remember, when we were walking through the Bible last year, we get to the story of Job. Job had asked permission to bring pain upon Job. He had asked permission from God. Now, we can get into the complexities of that at another sermon. But the idea here is that Satan is hungry, and so he's asking for permission to do what? Not to be a farmer. That's not what that means. That he might sift you like wheat. Now, I had no idea what that meant or what that looked like. I had to YouTube it to figure out what does sifting like wheat mean. I grew up in the city uh, on a beach city. So I had no idea. I couldn't even tell you what wheat looked like. Okay? I, I, I couldn't. But I looked this up. What does this process mean? The process of sifting wheat is a very violent process. You apply pressure and, and, and kind of violence to the wheat, and it breaks apart the pieces that are desirable and undesirable. A good way to trans, translate it like a thought for thought, kind of into our modern vernacular, would be that Satan wants to tear you to pieces. That's what he wants to do. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Guys, he wants all of you, and he wants to tear you apart. Now here's the sad thing. He's already succeeded. We're in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. In verse 3, we see that he has already got Judas. So one, he's applied pressure. He has sifted the group and one already fell out. What Satan is hoping to do is prove that some of these disciples, some of the closest followers of Jesus Christ, are not truly loyal. They're not faithful they don't truly trust in jesus christ and commit their allegiance to him now imagine for a moment you're peter i mean this is sobering news right satan's coming after you y'all and he wants to tear you all to pieces but then comes the relief like look at the next verse simon simon behold satan is demanded to have you That he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Right. Man. Some sense of relief here. Uh, Peter at this point. We're already late in the gospel. Peter not only has committed his life to following Jesus. But I think at this point. He's recognized Jesus as even more than the Messiah. We know he's confessed him as Messiah. But I think he's starting to realize. That this isn't just a prophet. That Jesus is the son of God, the one who came to redeem the world from its sin. We'll see later in our verse that he's going to talk about how I'm willing to go to prison for you, Jesus, even die for you, Jesus. I think Peter is confessing here, Jesus, I understand you're not that military warlike savior we thought you were going to be. But you are a suffering servant who's going to die for our sin. Who's going to liberate us from the oppressor on us spiritually. Our sin and Satan that keeps us chained to a, 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 a destiny of damnation. You have now liberated us from that. I see you as that Jesus. And later you will come again. And you will bring your kingdom fully. I think Peter is starting to realize who Jesus is. So Peter, after getting this really hard news, Satan wants to tear you guys apart. But I have prayed for you. Now again, we can't tell in the English language. But in the Greek you can tell. That's a singular. Peter, you. That's who I'm praying for. Satan wants all these guys. But I'm praying for you. Simon, I'm praying for you. Why does he pray for him? Because Simon is the leader of that group. Yes, all the disciples are loved by Jesus equally. But they're not all the same. Peter is the leader. And so he looks at Simon Peter and says, if, if, if I can pray for you in this attack, and you remain strong, then everybody else is going to be healthy. We're not going to lose another one. Simon, I'm praying for you. Okay. That feels good. Son of God, praying for me. Okay. But in a moment, you notice that there's a dot, dot, dot. It's going to get disappointing. I think he feels relieved. But the question is, Jesus, what are you praying for? Let me tell you what I would love for Jesus to have said after this that he didn't say. If I'm standing there and I'm Simon Peter, I'm like, wait, Satan wants to tear me apart? How about we skip that part? Can you pray that that doesn't happen? I mean, you're the one who's got to give permission. Can you pray that does not happen? That he does not come after me? That he doesn't apply the pressure that will show if some of us are loyal and some of us aren't loyal? How about no pain? Did you pray for that, Jesus? Nope. Well, okay. Jesus, how about can you assure me that I'm not going to fail? Can you assure me that I'm not going to make a mistake? Can you assure me that I won't fall into the temptation of Satan? Can you assure me that I'll be morally perfect? That I'll always choose the highest spiritual road? That I'll always choose the morally perfect road? That I'll always choose what is virtuous? That I'll always do what's right? Wouldn't that be great? Well, be prepared to be disappointed. Because Jesus doesn't pray for either of those things. But he prays for something more realistic and more relieving. I think he prays for repentance. Look at how Jesus shows Peter what he's praying for. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So interesting the predictions that Jesus makes here. Peter, go back to verse 32. It says Jesus is saying, "I've prayed that your faith may not fail." So Peter, I'm praying that you don't fail. And then just one sentence from that, verse 34, what does he say? "Peter, you're going to fail." Wow, Jesus, your prayer was effective for this long. Like not even a sentence. How on earth can Jesus pray, Peter, I'm praying that you don't fail. Let me tell you how you're going to fail. You're going to deny me three times. So how can that be true? Is Jesus really praying for something his prediction proves won't actually happen? What a useless prayer. I mean, Jesus is very well informed as the son of God, omniscient, knowing all things. Why is he praying for something he know is inevitable, that he's predicted will happen? It's because that's not what he's praying about. He's not praying about that failure. He's not praying that Peter won't make a mistake. He's not praying that he won't have a moment of failure. Go back to verse 32, because the words here are very important. It says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That phrase right there, may not fail fail very interesting word that word group is used to describe an eclipse the idea of when, of like a sun's light is shining forth like in normal day but on an eclipse what happens is the moon covers the light of the sun totally and eclipses it and takes away all the light that the the moon is producing that's what he's saying peter here's what i'm praying for That the light of your faith will not be extinguished. That the light of your faith won't be fully eclipsed by the darkness of unbelief. I'm not saying, Peter, that it's not going to get dim. I'm not saying that it's not going to get dark. What I'm saying is there won't be an eclipse. What I'm saying is it won't get completely dark. What I'm saying is you won't utterly fail. What I'm saying is unbelief won't overtake you completely. You'll have a moment of weakness, Peter. You'll deny me, Peter. But I won't let you ruin your faith. I am praying that it will not fail. Have you ever been there as a follower of Jesus Christ? I've been there. I know I've been there. In moments where my faith was very little. Where my life was dark. Where the moon had come in front of the sun. And it felt like it was going to be fully eclipsed. I remember the moment of honestly being completely devoid of any hope. Of thinking, there's no way I'm getting out of this darkness. Like there's no way that I'm not going to be a victim of unbelief completely. And it got really, really, really dark. But there was no eclipse. And why is that? Because the Son of God is praying for me. Because the Son of God who promised his Holy Spirit to come into me will not let my faith be eclipsed. Is it going to get dark? Yes, it's going to get dark. Is there going to be times where your faith is very, very dim? Yes. But the Son of God is praying for you. And the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And he will not let unbelief overtake you. No matter how dark it seems it gets in your life. See, here's what sometimes we think. We think this lifelong journey of faith, this path that he has before us, we think that Jesus' priority is to make that path easy. But it's not. His priority is what? You finish. Your priority is that you get from the beginning all the way to the end, and that's what he prays for. He prays you don't crash, but that doesn't mean you're going to cruise doesn't mean it's going to be easy, that there's not going to be bumps. Oh, there's going to be bumps, a lot of bumps. And some of those bumps are because of you. Some of those bumps are because of me. Some of those bumps are because we are going to fail. So let me just relieve you of this expectation, a false expectation, that you're always going to follow Jesus absolutely perfectly. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to relieve yourself of this expectation that you're always going to do the right thing. No, I'm not saying that Jesus is up in heaven applauding your bad choices. That's not what I'm saying. And he didn't applaud the choices. He wasn't excited when Peter denied him. No. But he was realistic. You're going to mess it up. You're going to mess it up. But I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that your faith does not get eclipsed by unbelief. That you're going to make it all the way. What is he praying for? Repentance. Look at the other prediction that Jesus' prayer gives us. Go back again to verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That it may not be eclipsed by unbelief. And when you have turned, that's a prediction. Jesus isn't guessing here. Hey, I wonder what's going to happen. Maybe you're going to turn. No, what does he say? And when you turn, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that incredible? And when you have turned. So what does that assume? You have to turn. What does that assume? That you did something wrong. That you made a mistake. That you failed. But you are going to turn. You're going to repent. I'm praying for your faith. And because I pray, it ensures your repentance, Peter. And that's the same thing that's true for you. The Son of God is praying for you. You're going to fail. But his prayer ensures what? That you will repent. You will turn again. And then look what's going to happen. You will strengthen your brothers. This is crazy because Peter has no idea what that phrase means. Not yet. Not yet. Not even close. You're going to strengthen your brothers. He's already been given by Jesus this weighty sense of authority. Satan wants to tear you all apart. Peter, you man. Simon, look at me. Simon, Simon, look at me. I'm praying for you. Because if you don't go into unbelief, all these other guys are going to be safe. But it it expands beyond that. Peter's influence and the strengthening he gives to the brothers, to the first century followers of Jesus Christ, expands beyond the disciples. We see this when we go into the book of Acts. We see Acts chapter 1. Peter has leadership. He's the one that kind of takes over and helps them kind of restore the apostolic band after Judas has killed himself. He says, Hey, we got to get this thing right. We need somebody who was there, who witnessed the teachings of Jesus, who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. We need somebody to complete our group. Who's there to provide leadership? Peter is. The next chapter, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus promised, falls on his first century followers. Amazing things happen. Who preaches the sermon? Who's got the mic? Peter does. Peter preaches one of the most amazing sermons. The first sermon, really, you could say, the first sermon of the church of the new covenant people of God delivered by who? Peter. But then the mission of God starts expanding. The family of God starts expanding. The kingdom of God goes beyond Israel. It goes to a group of Samaritans. You know who's the leader in that movement? Peter. Then it goes beyond the Samaritans. It goes to the Gentiles. You know who the leader in that movement is? Peter. Peter has no idea what strengthen your brothers means. And this is what I find really disappointing in walking the Christian life and people's expectations on themselves is we let our failures make us unfruitful. Praise God that Peter didn't do that. I mean Peter denied him 3 times. 3 times. I don't even know this guy. What a failure. How is that guy a church leader? How is that guy kind of at the forefront of the mission of God? How is that possible? I think it's very interesting that the readers, the first century readers of Luke, now they're reading the account of what happened with Peter decades after. So they already know who Peter is. They already know he preached at Pentecost. Some of these readers of the Gospel of Luke were probably there at Pentecost. And now that Luke's account is fully put together, they have already lived through the book of Acts. They've already seen him extend the mission of God to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles. They already heard of his leadership at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 where they made it clear that Gentiles didn't need to become Jews and be part of the family of God. They knew all these things. So imagine if you just stepped in. Maybe you're a second generation follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe 15 years, 10 years after the resurrection. You started following Jesus. All this stuff is happening. You know who Peter is. Peter's the guy, man. He's a mover and a shaker. And then you get to this part of the gospel and you're like, hold on. What? That guy's a failure. What would you learn about following Jesus? What valuable lesson would you learn about following Jesus? You'd learn this. You're going to fail. But you can still be fruitful if you repent. You're going to fail. Follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're not yet following Jesus Christ, hear me. You're going to fail. Let's be realistic. Jesus does not guarantee that you will be morally perfect. He assures you, you won't. James, Jesus' brother, wrote one of the letters in the New Testament. And he says, we all sin. And in many ways. if the brother of the Savior of the world can say that, we could say that, right? We all sin. And in many ways. Jesus tells us we'll fail. Now, I know that may be disappointing to you. Like, oh, man, I don't want that. I get that. But the expectation is not perfection. The expectation is confession. That when you'll fail, you'll confess. You'll be restored. And then what will happen? He will use you. To change people's lives. He'll use you to strengthen the brothers and sisters of the faith. How many followers of Jesus Christ have put themselves on the shelf because of failures that they've done? Way too many. Way too many. Satan is excited about how many are sitting on the sidelines. Oh, he's thrilled. Oh, look, you messed up. God can't use you. Oh, you messed up. Oh, God can't use you. He's given us the expectation of moral perfection. Satan has. How deceptive is that? He's the guy that wants to destroy you. He destroys you with moral perfection. And then gets you on the sidelines. God can't use you, man. God can't use you. Peter was a failure. You can be a failure. It should be our church slogan. Yeah. Come to sunrise. You could be a failure too. But you can still be fruitful if you repent. If you repent. Now that's hard. That's a hard pill to swallow. Because what gets in the way of our repentance? Pride does. Pride gets in the way. Self-righteous pride or rebellious pride? I'm too good. I'm good enough. I got this handled. Rebellious pride. I'll do what I want. My life my rules, my want, my hunger, my heart. I'll follow my dreams. Thank you, Disney. <laughs> Look at how Peter did the same thing, man. Jesus tells him, Peter, Satan's going to sift you. He wants more Judas's in this group. I'm praying for you that your faith doesn't fail. But you will turn again. You will strengthen the brothers. And Peter doesn't get it. And you may be at the point right now where Peter is because you may not get it. And I'm saying it to you, but you may not get it. Jesus is saying it to you, but you may not get it. You may be crossing your arms spiritually like, I don't need this message. Somebody needs to repent in this room, but it's not me. (laughs) Oh, no, it's you. Big time. And here's why. I don't say it to bolster my pride. I say it because, friend, this is the only way we can be fruitful as Christians. The only way we can strengthen our brothers and sisters, the only way we can be a church, a community, and a family of love and unity is if we all step back and humbly say, I'm not the hero of this story. He's the hero of this story. So I'm just going to confess and ask him to clean me up and then use me however he wants to. Don't let pride get in the way. Look what Peter did. Peter let pride get in the way. Look at his response. Verse 39. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. That's a good chapter too. So verse 33. But Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now, part of that is actually true. Because in Acts chapter 5 and in Acts chapter 12, he will face those two things. Imprisonment and death. He's just wrong about the timing. He won't get there, not this time, because pride got in the way. Look at, look at what he's saying. Now, re- remember where he is. He's in a safe room with all the disciples right now. That's a really easy place for you to, like, lay out these kind of things, right? I don't know about you, but I remember when I was a teenager and I was a skater kid, right? I know you're surprised. Some of you are like, you weren't a jock? no and you need your glasses checked, okay? I was this skater kid, like I just loved to just, you know, skate different parts. I knew all the parts in Ventura to skate. And, you know, we were helpful to the police. We always kept them in shape because they needed to run and try to catch us, right? But we were about there, cardiovascular health and jumping fences and stuff like that. And so, you know, when we'd hang out, we'd be done with the day of skating. We'd be all sweaty. We'd go to the Circle K, get the Big Gulp and sugar up and eat, you know, carrot sticks and stuff no no like Doritos you know all that terrible stuff and we'd just be sitting there on our boards you know and this we would have this kind of like bro moment you know we're just like man I love you dude I just want you to know like I got your back bro I got your back I'll take a bullet for you right are you talking about like there was this bully uh named Marco I won't say his last name and it's not Polo you're wondering that's not him right but I remember you'd say things hey man if that guy messes with you bro I got your back which means nothing coming from a guy my size. Like, what am I going to say? I'll find a pipe to hit him with. Like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to, like, get in the way. I'll let him punch me first. But you'd make these commitments. Man, I'd die for you. And then when you get to the point where it's like, uh, are you really? Are you really? I mean when, when the pressure comes down, like, I would take a bullet for you. We all said that when no gun was facing us. That's what Peter is doing. Peter is in the safety of this room. With no persecutors around. And he says all this prideful things. Man, I would. Jesus, I'll go to prison. Jesus, I'd face death for you. Would you? Would you really, Peter? Because you'll be in the moment where you're not even necessarily in danger of those things. And you'll break then. Don't let your pride get in the way. Don't let your pride get in the way of your repentance. Because the most threatening work Against your spiritual life is your pride, not Satan. Do you see what Jesus prays for? He doesn't pray, man, I'm praying that Satan doesn't sift you like wheat. He doesn't say that. Do I want him to say that? Yes, I want him to say that. But he doesn't say that. What does he say? I'm praying for your faith, Simon. I'm praying for your faith and that you would repent. And Peter does. Later on in Luke chapter 22, we see later he he, he has that moment where he denies. Then he hears the rooster crow, and it says he went out and he wept bitterly. But then he was restored. He confessed his sins, he was restored, and he was used by God in an amazing way. Praise God that Jesus Christ was praying for his repentance. Praise God that Peter's faith, or Peter's pride didn't persist, that he finally confessed he was broken and God used him. Friend, please don't let pride get in your way. God wants to use you in a big way. And the only thing that's stopping you from being used is your pride. And the biggest need you have is repentance. That's the biggest priority. Not to be freed from temptation. Not to be freed from pain. Not to achieve moral perfection. Those aren't what Jesus is praying for. Repentance is of utmost importance. I want to challenge you this week to pray a prayer. A prayer found in the last two verses of Psalms 139. A beautiful prayer. This is a prayer that was given to us by our life group leader. My wife and I are journeying through our 10-week discipleship journey. We've talked to you about that. It was, we're about halfway through right now. Our second time, or my second time going through, my wife's first time going through it and and the uh, last couple weeks has been the strongholds which is this time where we just confess besetting sins in our life sinful rhythms that we just keep going back to and back to and back to and back to and it is a wonderful time it is a freeing time it's a time of confession it's definitely not a time where you're impressed with people it's time where you're honest with people where you just say, I'm not here to impress people in my group, I'm here to be honest, I'm here to confess and get restored by the Lord. And I'll tell you what, my experience with the, the guys in our group, because you separate from guys to girls, to so just keep that kind of things uh, right there. And, and man, I'm telling you, it was a beautiful moment, the guys in our group, a beautiful moment. And we just confessed sin. And then we prayed for each other. That God would restore us and use us to strengthen others well, in that, we had a prayer experience before that. And our life group leader gave us this psalm to pray, for, pray through. And this song, just it, it just struck me. These last two verses, I've just been praying. I used it at a, at a prayer time with the team. We were just meeting about something, and I just, I wanted God's wisdom, so I prayed this. And it's just been sticking with me, and sticking with me, and I can't get rid of it. So I want to share it with you. And I want to challenge you to pray this prayer. Psalm 139, last two verses says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Do you see what he's confessing here? There's some stuff in here that I don't know. There's stuff in here I don't know. There's some darkness in here that I don't know. There's some sin in here that's so hidden, that it's so wrapped itself around my heart, I can't see how to get it out. And I think it's good. Right? It is very, listen to me, it's very, very dangerous for you to follow your heart. Now, it's true. The Holy Spirit is in you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you, working That you would will and act according to his great purpose. So that's true. Philippians tells us that. So yes, so you do trust some internal impulses? Yes, that may be the voice of the Holy Spirit. Or it may be the voice of your sin. How do you know the difference? That's how you know the difference. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people who have justified their sin. Well, God wants me to be happy. And I'm just following my heart. Those are two terrible things. God wants you to be happy. You know at the center of our faith is a crucified Messiah. What was happy about being bleeding out naked on a cross? Okay, God wants you to be happy. He didn't want his son to be very happy. But then when his son talks about following him, he says, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. Where in there was happiness promised us? So that's the first problem. Well, I just need to follow my heart. Do you do Okay, hold on. Back up. You know that there's sin in here, right? You know you will justify your sin. I know this, man. I am a creature of my heart and not my head. I will justify what I want. You find yourself in that pattern? Oh, I will make up all the reasons and spin all the verses so I can get what I want. That's why that prayer is so important. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. What's in here? What's in here that's not impressive? What's in here that's not honoring to you? There's some good in here, but I can't tell the difference between the two voices. So I need you to know my thoughts, to see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what I want. I challenge you this week take some time. Pray that prayer. Last two verses of Psalm 139. And I don't don't think it makes a difference where you are spiritually, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not following Jesus Christ yet. I still encourage you to pray that prayer. Search my heart, O God. Know my thoughts. Find the grievous way in me. And lead me in the path everlasting. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be freed from those besetting sins in your heart. And you may not know them. And you need them to be known. You need them to be named. You need them to come out. So you can confess them and turn from them. And then watch God use you to be fruitful in the lives of other people. That's what you want. But you got to confess. You got to repent. And you got to let pride die this week. Now maybe you're not yet following Jesus. I want to tell you right up front, when I pray for you, and I do pray for you, I pray that you'll repent. And I know you're thinking, wow, that sounds kind of rude. You're like, you don't even know me. Right? I know. I used to go to church before I ever started following Jesus. If I heard somebody from the stage say that to me before I was following Jesus, I'd be like, what was that? You don't know my life. And I say that not to be rude. I say it to be honest. Because yes, do I want you to be happy? Absolutely. Do I want you to be healthy? Absolutely. Do I want you to find joy in this life? 100%. Do I want you to be pain-free? Absolutely. Do I want you to be healthy? Absolutely. Will I pray if you're sick? Absolutely. Will I visit you in the hospital? Absolutely. I'll do all those things. But the number one thing that I worry about for you is are you right with God? That's what I worry about. Because that's more important. Which is why I pray for your repentance. Repentance. Because God so lovingly gave of himself. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and rise again for the forgiveness of your sins. Forgiveness is right there for you. But it's not automatic. It doesn't get like direct deposited to everybody's account. You got to receive that forgiveness. And do you know how you receive the forgiveness? Repentance. Repentance. Saying I'm turning away from this and I'm confessing my allegiance to you. That's the moment that you're forgiven and restored. That's the moment where you start to get better and where your relationship with God gets so deep. So my prayer is you would repent. And my prayer is that you repent today, to do it today, because that is your greatest need. So I challenge you to pray that prayer. What have you got to lose? Search my heart, oh God. Know my thoughts. Find the grievous way in me and lead me in the path everlasting church family let's pray father we love you we thank you for who you are to us in jesus christ oh father it's so true i wish i could be perfect i wish i could live a perfect life and a pain-free life but those can't be my expectations they're not your expectations it's not your guarantee it's not what you tell me is going to happen what you want is so much more realistic for my life and so much more revealing or relieving for my life. What you want is a life of repentance, a life of turning over to you, to confessing my sin, turning from it, and being restored and cleansed. And Father, I pray right now that you would strike against the idol of our pride. For all those watching online, to everybody in the room, could today, this week, be the week where you put pride to death Oh, what a glorious day that would be. Because that is the day of our freedom. That is our greatest enemy. Not Satan, not some guy with horns and a pitchfork or whatever it is. No. Our greatest enemy is our pride. May today and this week be filled with prayers of confession, of prayers of restoration, of prayers of hope. Father, I I just can't imagine how you're going to move this week. But I think if it starts with humble hearts, man, you could bring heaven on earth. Would you give us that? Would you give us that, Lord? Let us not get in the way. Would you give us that, Lord? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.